shocking details of uh, the charge sheet in the horrific Shraddha Walkar case now out, how Aftab Punawala, her boyfriend, made powder of her uh, bones in a mixer grinder to hide evidence and how he kept her severed head for three months before disposing of it. It's just one of the most horrific uh, stories that we've ever reported. And now this charge sheet has got so many more details. Joining us now, MS Khan, uh, Aftab's lawyer. We're also joined uh, by Sanjay Hegde, uh, the Supreme Court lawyer. Uh, Dr. Vikram Singh, the former Director General of Police of uh, Uttar Pradesh, Shaina NC of the BJP, and Rajat Shukla, who's been a friend uh, of um, uh, in the past uh, of Shraddha. Thanks very much for being with us. Um, you know, Sanjay Hegde, you've tracked uh, you know, I mean, criminal law for so many decades. Have you ever heard of something like this, where you know this this man, according to this chart sheet, not didn't just cut her body, but he tried to use a, a machine, right, a, a mixer grinder to grind her bones to powder so that he could dispose of it. I mean, it takes, it takes some doing, some mind to be able to think up something like this. As the saying goes, the devil himself knoweth not what lies in the minds of man. There have been murders and murders. I do remember... Uh, the uh, murder uh, of uh, Naina Sahani, after which the body was burnt in a tandoor. See, uh, murders happen. People, uh, uh, people are then left with the body. How they try to dispose of the body may or may not aggravate the crime. And if there is a situation where aggravating and mitigating circumstances are to be taken, uh, for uh, the ultimate sentence, then this might come into the calculus. Uh, I also remember the Shraddhananda case in uh, Karnataka, where a man buried his wife alive, and uh, because she was a very rich lady, and she uh, and he continued to live in the house for nearly a year and more, saying that she had gone away to the U.S. to have a child. Right. No, so I would there, there have been all kinds of gruesome cases. Yeah. This is a gruesome case, but uh, it's it's often a question of degree. You know, uh, Dr. Vikram Singh, uh, you've again somebody who's been, I mean, a part of the uh, of the the legal system, former director general of police. I, I mean, I've never, in 26, 27 years of being in this business, never come anywhere close to talking or reporting on something like this. But a head kept for three months before it was disposed of, a mixer grinder being used, a blowtorch being used to sever fingers. Have you ever come across something like this? Something very close, Vishnuji. And yes, there have been banyak killers, Parvas and banyak killers like Aftab. But yes, this man takes the gold medal as far as Parvas and an absolutely depraved banyak killer is concerned. This man gets the gold medal. Indeed, I have never seen anything like this. Something coming very close, but not as brutal as this case. And indeed, this requires a skillful investigation. The 6,600-page charge sheet, I'm sure, incorporates all the deviations, all the deviant kind of a behavior, the perversions that has gone into this one murder. Yes, he has gone to absurd lengths to conceal why. As Mr. Sanjay tried to answer the question, why would a person do it? Depravity, revenge, or to conceal the evidence. I think all the three clubs together would go to shape, would go behind the eyeballs of Aftab to tell us that why did he do a thing like that? And that answers, perhaps, his escape route, his perhaps perversion, and the angst against the deceased. 
you know shaina um, what what yeah. was as frightening as as the details of this case which have now uh, emerged is the thought that how many other utterly depraved people are out there capable of something like this in a country as large as ours so vishnu they're not depraved they're barbaric uh, i think that the adjectives we need to use is not uh, um, uh, something that can be taken very lightly because this is horrific Shaina, your signal is just a bit bad. I'll come back to you in half a second. Um, you know, Mr. Hegde, uh, obviously the the police will be uh, pushing for, uh, you know, the rarest of the rare punishment. I mean, they'll be pu- pushing for for capital punishment, um, and perhaps that is what needs to be, uh, you know, the the, the legal path. But um, uh, without getting into, you know, whether capital punishment is right or wrong that's not the purpose of my question i'm just trying to ask you when you deal with a sick mind like this um you know it, it's not a normal person is it so how does uh, the legal system actually look at this this is uh, you know it's uh, when we are uh, getting ahead of the game here when we are discussing sentence the trial is yet to oh, start and you uh, and i've seen many a cast iron case no matter how many pages there are in the charge sheet then uh, then uh, wilt under forensic examination so we are we are getting a bit further ahead so the only the two other cases that i mentioned earlier one was uh, the sushil sharma case naina sahani burnt in a tandoor as well as uh, the shraddhananda case where uh, the lady shakere was uh, buried alive uh, both those cases did not end in death penalties uh, in shraddhananda there was death uh, there, there was a life sentence until the uh, uh, until his last breath right that he w- he would not get any remission yeah uh, sushil sharma if i remember rightly has uh, been released after about 25 30 years or something of that kind yeah yeah shaina we lost your signal go ahead with what you were saying yeah Vishnu, I don't think this is about a pervert. This is about a barbaric act, which is so horrific in nature. Where I think somewhere we need to introspect mass society uh, to think that we all have children in their twenties. If they choose partners such as this, who have women is one thing. But more importantly, this aggression of believing that you are in a position of power. Where you destroy lives such as Shraddha's, think that he used a mixer to grind her bones. To think that he put her uh, entire head in a freezer for months, threw away her phone. And why I feel even more hurt is that she did reach out to the Mumbai police, and during the then dispensation was taken kind of lightly. So I think we need to take relationships which are. Uh, out of the box or not in acceptability of society slightly more seriously because women and girls such as shraddha if she has a family not supporting we need to have a system in place also where she is counseled where she is addre- her issues are ad- so we save lives and i sure. think social ostracization is only one part of it we right. need to ensure that the 
punishment is nothing less than capital, um, I mean, you know, uh, hang to death, but hang to death in a public forum where other uh, kind of uh, barbarian uh, ways are looked at and condemned in totality so that the women in our society realize that there are avenues to go out and reach out for help if you're in such a toxic relationship. Yeah. Rajat, uh, you know, you've been a friend of Shraddha's in the past. Did uh, you ever come to know about the nature of this extremely toxic relationship that she was in? Generally, what happens is when people are in a relationship, they try to keep uh, everything personal. It's between two people. And uh, very sadly, Shraddha was, I mean, uh, the way we have known, uh, she was not just uh, uh, diverted to be only focused to Aftar, but she was also blackmailed in ways that she really did not uh, reach out to much friends in the start. And then, of course, uh, when things turned really sour, uh, slowly and gradually, she began to come out and uh, she started saying. So, yeah, I mean, we got to know about it. And, uh, you know, henceforth, uh, uh, the complaint was lodged. Uh, sure. But then the complaint was taken back and, you know, everybody knows the story. Dr. Vikram Singh, it's taken the police a, a large amount of time. Uh, but, you know, in a case like this, to make it open and shut, it needs a great deal of time and investigation. Firstly, uh, the weapon needs to be recovered. Then, of course, narco tests, which seem to have confirmed his confession, were carried out. Uh, the motive was proven. Do you believe at this stage, based on that charge sheet and some of the details, that the police actually have a, an open and shut case? I would presume so, that the police have a very, very good and a tight case because you already mentioned the narco analysis the recovery of the mobile phone and the extrajudicial conferences which i'm sure after must have made here and there because i'm given to understand yes that he did make extrajudicial confessions now coming to the circumstantial evidence which will hold the key to the uh, conviction in the court of law i have no doubt in my mind that he'll get a conviction the debate is only whether he will get a life imprisonment or a capital punishment the circumstantial evidence, the grinder, the mixer, the refrigerator, and the statement to the neighbors under the circumstances under which he bought the refrigerator, and also how he managed to conceal the skull and also use the grinder and the mixer to make powder of the bones, also would be indicative of the fact, the wiring of his mind and the perverse mindset. Again, the circumstantial evidence seems to be so complete and overwhelming that I have no doubt in my mind that this case will end in conviction. And I'm sure pursued vigorously and the prosecution working extra, I'm sure there is a very bright chance of Aftab getting a capital punishment because it is one of the rarest of the rare cases and he indeed deserves the capital punishment. You know, Mr. Hegde, what is striking, if you go through that chart sheet, some of the details, when Aftab brought girlfriends home, he'd shift pieces of Shraddha's body from the fridge to, to elsewhere, right? Um, he ordered a chicken roll after murdering Shraddha on the 18th of May. Um, he disposed of her head after three months. What does this say about, you know, a criminal's mind or, or a person like this, a psychopath? A criminal's mind is not uh, relevant to the issue, except if there is a plea of insanity. Uh, or if there is a repeat offender of some kind and... Uh, uh, then you need to work at, on his mind in the course of investigation. Once the matter goes to court, uh, they, they, these are the only few questions. Uh, did, he, uh, did he murder her 
or was it culpable homicide short of murder uh, not amounted to murder secondly <laughs> if he if he murder if, uh, if the prosecution can prove beyond all reasonable doubt that he did murder her is this murder the rarest of the rare where a lesser punishment is unquestionably foreclosed those are the words in the supreme court judgment in bachan singh um, there has there is a whole host of other judgments which says that you must put into the weighing scale all the aggravating circumstances and all that you have mentioned will no doubt go into the aggravating circumstances you may also look at the mitigating circumstances this happens whether in a fight or passion uh, moment of passion or whatever they we don't know what the defense lawyers will be will be bringing out yeah. all that goes into the ultimate calculus before uh, you decide whether it is a life sentence or a death sentence but we are getting very far ahead of the game right now rajat right uh, now yeah you you have to see how the evidence stands up in court sure rajat you had a point go ahead yeah now i mean it's it's been almost like 3 months and uh, i think the entire nation is uh, has involved their emotions with this case um i personally feel uh, really bad uh, and now you know a lot of uh, new revelations are been made about uh, you know how aftab has committed this crime but one thing that i think i personally and uh, uh, mr das parents and i think the whole nation might be asking is what more uh, you know heinous uh, can be to get aftab hang till death i think he shouldn't be spared or uh, anything of that sort i think uh, i don't understand much about uh, uh, how and uh, when a person is hanged but certainly i think the emotions are such that least that you know uh, people have asked that you know he should be cut in 35 pieces if not that the law would at least allow him to get hanged so that anybody would not even dare to commit such a crime you know sure. the way shraddha has been murdered is something that has shocked uh, the nation i mean uh, people who have been associated to her there were not not just me but i think hundreds and um, thousands of people she might have met in her life they are in deep shock and i don't think uh, this entire life would be uh, you know enough for us to get out of this i just wanted to go to uh, shaida you know the, the way in which um, it's been reported or it's been discussed there were questions which were raised on shraddha's parents how could her how could her parents actually um, you know be oblivious to her lifestyle uh, and things like that do you believe that that's exactly the wrong way of looking at this that this was a woman who made her own choices terrible choices perhaps uh, but that this isn't so much about the role of the parents it's about a murder and that's it it's a murder but it's also a reflection of perverts and barbarians in our society so we need to wake up to the fact that there could be many such aftabs here and there and how do we avoid this kind of a situation first there has to be fear of law so there can be nothing less than death penalty and at the earliest that being number 1 number 2 why judge a girl she could be in a toxic relationship without the parents support but we as a society also need to give hope to girls who are in relationships where they want to come out and speak 
it could be through counseling it could be through shelters it could be through a proactive police force that doesn't just take a letter lying down and says oh she is living with someone so she's bad character please let's get out of this stereotypical mindset to blame girl for everything what she wore what she chose why she chose to be with a person if we want to be sensitive in cases such as this social ostracization is a must that's a foregone fear of law is necessary administration and political will along with a societal change and when i talk about societal change i've said it multiple times it's not just about beti bachao beti padhao it's about bete ko sikhao bete ko samjhao how many of these men who believe this exertion of power and this is the worst of worst sure. where you feel that you can cut chop a girl into pieces and have the manipulative pleasure of getting away scot free no chance this is india this is india under narendra modi ji and justice to all is definitely going to be the way and definitely not any kind of appeasement politics or appeasement uh, theatrics that people try to pan out that oh how can you prove i think it's proven to the uh, beyond doubt so uh, society oh, what are you talking about you're raising the the bogey of love jihad that's what you're saying i'm not even getting into that Vishnu. no but then, I then don't even where is the question of that. appeasement a murder is a murder absolutely so but i haven't understood saying, your point china on appeasement no, who is appeasing who no i said who? don't view don't view anything as appeasement or a segment or section of society these are barbarians and you cannot even typecast them into caste creed community all right well exactly right i mean you can't a murderer is a murderer they don't have any caste society religion i mean that's the criminal justice system looks at their acts and leaves it there look we'll end this debate over here i'd like to thank you all very much for joining us but shocking details indeed have emerged in that chart sheet we'll take a short break come back with the very latest developments in turkey indian rescuers on their way we'll be speaking to the director general of the national disaster response force stay tuned the situation in turkey and syria continues to remain grim after the earthquake that flattened thousands of buildings leaving over 5000 people dead the rescue efforts are becoming more complex because of very cold weather Meanwhile India's first team of the National Disaster Response Force with several rescuers including women rescuers have landed in Adana and uh, are now deployed in the area where they've been sent um so that's the situation on the ground I'm joined by Heather Murdoch correspondent uh with the Voice of America in Istanbul Heather thanks very much for being with us um uh, a quick question to you first the numbers what are we actually looking at at this stage uh, is it likely to go well beyond 5000 Yes, health officials from the WHO have said that this number could increase up to perhaps as much as 24,000. Um so the next day and a half are critical in terms of rescues. Uh, they say that the rescue efforts are really most critical for the first 3 days before people who are trapped start to die. Um at this point so many have already died, but 8,000 people today where it was announced that 8000 people have been pulled out of the rubble alive. Right. Um and this goes along with tens of thousands of injuries. So there is still time for the rescuers you mentioned to save more people. And um 
how has the international community been actively helping? We do know, for example, that a lot of uh, Indian rescuers are already on the ground, but it's, a, it's very much an international effort at this stage. Yes, there are rescuers coming from all over the world, and um, India is one of the first to arrive, and there are more on their way. Um, one of the unfortunate things, though, about the international efforts is that the most vulnerable parts of the earthquake zone, northwestern Syria, um, are it's almost inaccessible right now. The roads are hard to pass. The area is quite cut off and isolated already because it's still an active war zone. Um, so rescuers are on their way, very, and we're hoping that they can work very fast, but no one has been able to say what they're going to do to try to help the people in northwest Syria, and millions of those are refugees. Right, and that was my next question. Where are the refugees? Where are the people whose homes have been demolished, either in northern Syria or in parts of Turkey? Have camps been set up? Uh, what's that situation? Yes, some camps have been set up, not nearly enough, but some have been set up in Turkey where people are resting, people are staying in friends or families' houses, but a lot of people don't really have any place to go right now. And as you said, it is quite cold and it is raining and snowing in many places. In Syria, the situation is more dire, where people are just crowding into whatever shelter they can, because a lot of their structures were also not sound before the earthquake, so the damage is, is quite complete in many places. And just for the benefit of our viewers, what is the extent or the geographical spread of, uh, uh, of the destruction in Turkey? It's quite vast. It looks, on a map, it will look like a third of the country. It is eastern and southern Turkey, um, not quite reaching to the capital, but across the region, and then all across northern and northwestern Syria. Um, there was some damage and shocks felt on the original earthquake as far as uh, Erbil in Iraq, Beirut in Lebanon, people were feeling it in Cairo in Egypt. Um, so it is. it was a quite a, a vast area that was hit. Absolutely horrific. Um, Heather, thank you very much for sharing the very latest details with us. Thank you very much indeed. I'm also joined by Munaza. She's an Indian student who was in the affected area before she managed to return to Istanbul. Munaza, could you tell us a little bit about what you saw around you in the affected area? So we were in Adana at that time when earthquake uh, happened and it was very hard for us to see uh, falling of uh, the buildings and uh, how people killed and it was very hard for us to run away from there. And right now I'm in Istanbul and still it is also in danger. So it was very hard. No, but Munaza, was it difficult for you to get from Adana uh, to safety in Istanbul? Yeah, it was very hard. It was very hard for us to uh, run away from there and uh, how to um, uh, manage ourselves. And uh, uh, because we were in shock at that time, it was sudden. And Munaza, uh, what were you doing in Adana? Do you study close by? Do you have friends or do you study in Istanbul where you are now? Uh, we went there for um, uh, traveling. And I'm uh, studying in Istanbul right now, but we went there and uh, because of uh, the snow happened at that time and the storm, suddenly the storm happened and then uh, in the sudden way, uh, the earthquake ha happened. And Munaza, uh, when the earthquake happened, where were you and what did you feel? 
I was in Adana at that time. Uh, we went there at uh, 12 a.m. Uh, and earthquake happened at one. Were you 30. in a building? Were you in a building? Where, where were you? No, we were on the ground, but we saw uh, how the buildings fall down at that time. And so you saw these buildings fall down around you. Yeah, yeah. And you were a small, and you we were a small were group of friends who were there, right? Yeah, yeah. We were in a group, so we um, ran away from there. And uh, could you just describe to us what uh, you know? The buildings falling. Uh, was there immediate medical assistance? Were there ambulances over there, or was there complete chaos? It was complete chaos at that time, and after uh, when earthquake was. Because it was uh, so hardly shaking, uh, 7.8, I think, magnitude it was. And uh, then ambulance came and rescuers. Right now, we are, uh, me and uh, include my friends and my universities are going to help the people who are now homeless. And, um, and uh, the um, rescuers are going there. How are you going to do that, uh, help our fellow students or those affected? How do you intend to help along with fellow students? However we can, uh, by money, by clothes, or by anything, because the weather is uh, here is very bad right now. We can't even go out, but we are trying our best to help them, and uh, however we can. Munaza, where in India are you from? I'm uh, from Delhi. And your parents uh, or, or your loved ones must must have been so very Everyone worried about you. Yeah, uh, they are very worried about us. And um, but when uh, the earthquake happened, were you able to get in touch with them, Munaza? No, at that time it was. Uh, you know, we were on not on our senses because uh, suddenly uh, the buildings were falling down and everything was shaking, and we know only thing that uh, we have to run away from there. And when we came to Istanbul, it was also in danger, government sending us uh, messages to, um, uh, to, un, um, uh, to run away from the buildings, yeah. to not yeah. uh, on the uh, floor. Right. So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, Munaza, fortunately, you are safe right now, but it is truly a horrific situation in parts of Turkey and northern Syria as well. Fortunately, you are yeah. safe. I'm sure your yeah. loved ones are looking at this broadcast and would feel maybe a little yeah. bit more reassured. Thank you so much yeah. for speaking to us. Thank, Thank you. you so much indeed. I'm joined by the Director General of the NDRF, Mr. Atul Karwalsa. Thanks very much for being with us. Any detail that you can share with us at this stage on what our NDRF personnel have been doing in Turkey presently, sir? Uh, yes, thank you, Vishnu, for having me here. Uh, the first team landed before 11 o'clock today morning, and uh, they have been deployed in an area which is about three hours away from Adana Airport, where they had landed. So they are en route right now. And uh, it comprises of about 51, exactly 51 rescuers. Uh, they're accompanied by a canine squad also. And in those 51 rescuers, we have five Mahila rescuers, which is the first. So they are off to the site they have been designated for. And the second team is en route. It would land at about 8 o'clock tonight. And then they would be allotted a site as well for operations. And sir, could you give us an idea of the specific expertise this team goes uh, into this disaster zone with? 
they have an have a specialization in CSSR as we call it collapse structures search and rescue they also have an expertise in rope rescue from high rise buildings so they primarily go prepared for an earthquake situ- situation and they have taken all the equipment that is required to accomplish that we also could send some vehicles which was again a first for us because the indian air force deployed their c17 airplanes which could carry our vehicles as well so we don't need to depend on transport for the lo- on the local authorities and we can take care of ourselves on our own so what is the area specifically that you are heading into could you describe what that's what uh, where the ndrf are going to be deployed is it broken buildings are you looking for people who may be trapped within rubble what are some of the operations you foresee uh, it put mostly in collapse structures so buildings have collapsed uh, across a large swath of turkey and uh, if you see on the map about 10 districts or provinces as they call are affected so it's a widespread damage so they have directed us to one of the worst affected areas which would allow us to do the maximum contribution and saving human lives there's a lot of technology which goes into these operations i've i've reported extensively on the ndrf you deploy for example uh, ground penetrating radars you deploy drones whenever it is required uh, the process of digging through buildings is very careful it's but and yet very deliberate and every second counts uh, could you tell us a little bit about how Uh, the the women and men under your command who are deployed over there would go about their business so they have equipment which can detect a sound at a very very low volume like a heartbeat or somebody scratching or somebody uh, making any kind of a noise for help we then triangulate with our equipment to get the exact location these sniffer dogs which they have carried they have an expertise of detecting live human victims under the rubble they help us find the exact location where we need to cut it and then we have specialty tools which can cut through a uh, thick concrete uh, steel reinforced concrete bolt cutters etc so we zero in on a location where there is a noise where there is a possibility of a live victim and then go deep inside to get that person out and what about medical assistance uh, should you be able to get people out do you have doctors have, uh, with you yes we have a doctor on board and all our rescues are trained in medical first responder course so they are uh, trained to provide the first aid as soon as we recover a victim we also carry paramedics so the initial care is adequately given by the ndrf team before the victim is shifted to a nearby hospital and so how long can you sustain your operations over there uh we have gone uh with the self sustaining capability of 2 weeks which means we had carried our own tentage our own rations etc as well but i feel that that may not be required to that extent some accommodation might be possible and we can carry on uh, for as long as required uh, because i'm sure that down the line some local assistance would be possible as far as uh, food and boarding is concerned so i don't really have any uh, uh, doubts that my boys can carry on work for as long as the the turkish government might require us and needless to mention sir uh, the, the 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 crew that you, the, the personnel of the ndrf over there will will work 24 hours a day through the day through the night for as long as they need to right the goal to save lives yes the initial hours are more important for saving live victims so the work requires to be done in a non stop fashion for the first 72 hours or even longer so the rescuers have trained for that they have improved their fitness for that over the last one year we have done exercises in low light or no light operations 
So all that has been really worked upon uh, through the life of this force, which is 17 years old now. So I'm sure they'll do a good job and be able to contribute effectively. And sir, it's a combined India operation. The NDRF has a couple of teams. The Army has a big team as well. You won't be working in the same area. You'll be deployed. So India and our forces will be deployed across the disaster zone. Uh, that is likely. The local authorities take a call. They look at the capacity and the competence of the help that is pouring in, including materials and men like us, rescues like us. And then they would allot us to various areas depending on the severity and their need. So I'm sure that we would probably be spread across a wider swath than just at one place. And sir, communication is a problem, isn't it? Uh, as of now, we are in touch with the team. They are able to uh, send us text on WhatsApp and some pictures as well. We have carried satellite phones. We have also carried our satellite antennas and we'll coordinate with the VSNL to, to ensure that we can get some connectivity even when the satellite phone network, uh, in, even when the mobile phone network is down. So communication, we are okay. We will be in touch with the teams continuously. And so when did you first know that you had to be deployed? It was what, an order or a request that came in from the Turkish government through the External Affairs Ministry? How exactly did you first come to know, sir? And how soon before our teams were ready to move? So as soon as the uh, tragedy happened, uh, early in the morning, uh, 0417 hours, uh, the Honorable Prime Minister pledged support. There was a meeting held yesterday morning by the Prime Minister's office where things were put together and instructions were given to prepare the teams. Uh, we had been preparing to... Uh, teams for international deployment over the past several months at Calcutta and Delhi. So it took us not too long to put them together. And then some documentation was required to be done for passports and visas and stuff like that. So uh, also the Indian Air Force prepared their planes. They had to obtain clearances for flying over certain countries. So uh, the teams were finally dispatched at just past three o'clock the first team went at 3 o'clock today morning. So it was done uh, in quick time. And sir, you flew into uh, the disaster zone, right? Uh, this is the closest possible airport, right? Yes, because Ankara was too far away. And uh, local transportation uh, would have been an issue with traffic jams and availability of transport, which is why we carried our own. So they directed us to Adana, which is right on the edge of the affected areas. And all areas which are affected are close by and accessible from there. So that's the airport we have landed at. And sir, once again, how many personnel uh, do you have deployed in total? Uh, total 101 rescuers, uh, four of our canine uh, partners. Uh, that makes it 101 plus four and uh, seven vehicles. Right. Yeah. And sir, do you foresee, uh, and my last question to you, do you foresee a, a potential additional deployment uh, depending on what the requirement may be? Are you ready for that, sir? Yes, that will depend on what they uh, request us for. Uh, we have more teams uh, being prepared for deploying them in addition to what has gone. We have sent two teams. We also have some material which we normally store for such occasions from sleeping bags to blankets to pumps to generator sets. So depending on what uh, the Turkish government requires, we should be able to help out to a large extent. And sir, uh, you know, the, the, the role of the NDRF, and I've seen this in other areas, is in as much as you are involved in the immediate rescue operations, when you come across people in distress, you immediately assist them with food, water, medicine, anything at all, right? That's part of the training. Yes, it is. It is. We try and anticipate all that can be required in such a situation by a victim whom we recover. 
and be able to provide help till the person reaches the hospital so that the life can be saved. All right. Well, let's hope that lives can be saved. I'm sure our uh, our NDRF personnel will uh, will do well and save lives. Time of essence. Thank you very much, sir, for sharing those details with us. Thanks very much indeed, sir. Thank you, Vishnu. Thank you.